Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Hello, crazy birds. I hope you are doing well and having a super fantastic day wherever you are. I am really looking forward to today's episode. It's one that I've been looking forward to for some time because there's quite a lot of important topics that we will be covering today. But before I go in and announce who the next guest is, I just want to give you a heads up and say that you will be hearing a bit of snoring during the podcast at some point, some a little bit louder than others. That is, of course, our little Frenchie Piper, who has just gone through surgery number six. Poor little thing. She has a luxating patella that had to be repaired and she is snoozing away trying to get over her surgery pains and everything. So yeah, just bear in mind, you will be hearing that. She is currently stuck to me. She just doesn't want to leave my sight. So yeah, she's she, and she's obviously snoring a bit more than usual. So that is what you might be hearing today as well. But along all the snoring, you will hear our amazing guest who is actually the uh, founder and the CEO of One Green Thing, a sustainability and climate leader. She's also an eco-anxiety expert, a speaker, and the author of One Green Thing, Discover Your Hidden Power to Help Save the Planet. And she's also referred to by Erin Brockovich as the Brene Brown of environmental movement. During this episode, we talked about what is eco-anxiety, how can we address our own eco-anxiety, as well as give you some daily things that you can actually do to help you on your sustainable journey. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Heather White. Thank you so much, Mariska. It's wonderful to be here. You're most welcome. I'm sure our crazy birds are absolutely just going to love your journey because you've got quite an interesting <laughs> one. Let's just like start right there. Like, How did your sustainable journey actually start? Oh, thank you so much for asking that. I have always been interested in environmental science and law. Like my earliest memories are growing up in Tennessee, which is in the southeastern part of the United States, near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So I spent a lot of time in the outdoors with my parents. We were always hiking and camping. I loved politics and environmental science and politics seemed like a great fit for me. But the journey that we're talking about today and the book I wrote was inspired by my kids. It was a conversation at the dinner table with my kids that made me take my research and my advocacy to a whole nother level. We've got quite a lot of crazy birds that are mothers. I'm just a mother of a furry baby <laughs> that we're also trying to get more sustainable. But yeah, it's really something, you know, some of the kids in our family and when you see them grow up, it's really hard not to like take a moment and think, oh my goodness. 
what is the world going to look like? You know, especially here where we are now in Australia, where we've got so many fires. I was just having a conversation with my husband yesterday about the climate here, because where we are in Perth now, it should be so hot. We shouldn't get any rain, yet it is so cold. Like when you go outside, you have to wear a jumper. It's raining every single day. So definitely climate is changing. And I feel a little bit anxious about that. And I know you are an eco-anxiety expert as well. Like, first of all, can you share with us, what is eco-anxiety? Absolutely. So eco-anxiety is defined as the chronic fear of environmental doom. It really is about how people feel about the future, especially as more people are connecting the dots with what they're experiencing in weather and also how they're feeling. So I think more people realize that the climate crisis is here and now, and especially young people. And it was actually my teenage kids who were talking to me. They they wanted, my older daughter wanted to participate in the Greta Thunberg climate strike. She asked permission to walk out of school. This was several years ago. And I said, of course you can walk out. But she had a very heavy backpack and a trumpet. And I checked the weather forecast in my full like mom energy. And I saw that she was most likely going to get drenched in thunderstorms. And the thunderstorms, I live in Bozeman, Montana, in the like the northwestern part of the United States. And we get a lot of snow, but thunderstorms are pretty rare. So I just instinctively, Mariska, I'm so embarrassed, but I instinctively offered to pick her up and drive her to the protest site. And she was like, wait, what? You know, you're worried about my backpack and you're worried about my trumpet. What about my future? Just kind of like you were saying is that you're you're nervous as you're seeing all this happen in Perth when it's, you know, it's cold when it's supposed to be hot. The wildfires, I mean, all the acres that burned just in, in 2000 in Australia, the, the devastation of the wildlife there and habitat. Young people are bearing witness to all this. So she was just saying, mom, where are the baby boomers? Where are the millennials? Where's where are is Gen X, which I'm a member of that demographic, you can't leave this crisis all on our shoulders. You know, young people feel all alone. We feel all alone. And so this was after 20 years experience in environmental policy. I mean, Mariska, I've been doing, this is my life's work that I've been doing, but I realized that I needed to dive into the mental health impacts of the, of the climate crisis, which is what my daughter, my older daughter and my younger daughter both experience, but also I needed to create a way for more people to see themselves in climate action because a, a lot of people are worried about taking that that first step and aren't really sure like I care, but I'm not really sure like I skipped the straw. Does that really matter? And that's what I did. But eco-anxiety is a growing concern globally, especially with young people. Yeah. And I mean, from my my perspective as well, like one of the reasons why we don't have children is because kind of of that anxiety because, you know, I sometimes feel like, how can I bring someone else in the world? And this is this is the world that I bring them into. So for me, and I know, you know, I'm not alone in this because I think some of the studies were saying like one in four people are actually feeling that they don't want to have children because of that. For me, it's also sometimes I feel like, okay, well, if at some point I do decide, listen, I do want to have children, I still feel like there's so many people on this planet that I would rather adopt a child, you know, or help someone else out than, you know, just adding another number. But it's something that, you know, is really concerning for me. How would you say, I mean, not just like this particular issue, but it's it's all part of this eco-anxiety. How do we actually address that? What What tips can you give us on that? 
That's such a good question. And before I dive into the tips, I just want to underscore what you just shared. Mariska, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're absolutely right. The study that you were referring to was a study that was in September of 2021. 10,000 young people ages 16 through 25, 47% said that climate anxiety, which is another word for eco-anxiety, climate anxiety interfered with their daily life. And one in four do not want to have children because they're so worried about the future they're inheriting from us. So so your decision, you have a, a large cohort of people who are making the same decision. What's interesting is that it's not lifestyle. It is actually concern about the future. So that just kind of shows the depth of the concern that people have about what's happening globally and how we all need to get involved. And so tips with dealing with eco-anxiety, the first off is kind of naming the problem. There are three factors that contribute to eco-anxiety. The first is general anxiety. Young people globally have such high rates of anxiety that it's now considered one of the most significant mental health crises that's faced young people in decades. The second is chronic loneliness. In the United States, there was a survey of young people, Generation Z is what we call kids born from 1997 to 2017. And eight out of 10 said they experienced chronic loneliness compared to six out of 10 senior citizens. So we have a situation where young people are lonelier than the elderly. And the UK actually has a loneliness minister to try to deal with the epidemic of loneliness. And that feeds into this hyper-awareness of the climate crisis that's driven by social media because young people uh, and all of us, you know, especially in Australia, you're sharing images of what you're seeing, of the devastation. And we underestimate how much young people are sharing in real time what they're seeing with climate. So what do you do, right? Okay, so you know there's a problem, now what? One of the things I realized, because I was trying to figure out how do we invite more people into this movement? You don't have to have a PhD to be a climate activist, and you don't have to be a protester, you know, although there is an important role that protests make, but that's not for everybody. What is your role? So what I realized in the, in the research is that what people needed to do is that a lot of times when you're trying to make a behavior change or deal with anxiety, you want to take action, but you're more likely to change your behavior if the action or the decision is aligned with your own identity. So what I've done is I've created an assessment. It's kind of like if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, it's an assessment that asks, who are you in service? And then based on who you are in service, there's seven different archetypes. I then match you to a daily practice of sustainability, which I call one green thing. So that's kind of my methodology to try to deal with eco-anxiety. Who are you in service? How can you help others take action every day? It can help ease your anxiety. But other tips kind of make a lot of sense, like spend time in nature. Time in nature, the thing you're trying to protect can help ease eco-anxiety. Meditate, get involved in your community, and take action every day. So those are kind of some simple ways to deal with eco-anxiety. But my approach is really find out how you want to get involved based on your strengths and your interests, and then have a daily practice, almost like a meditation or running or prayer. I love that. For me at the moment, I've went through a phase where I've just like, listen, I'm I'm so burned out. You know, I and a lot of it comes from social media because, you know, you consume all of that stuff. And and for some reason it's expected of you to like post like every single day and you need to do this great and you need to do this. And I just came to a point where I'm listen for my like own mental health, I need to take a break and step away. And 
go and reevaluate why am I doing what I'm doing? And, you know, go for walks in nature every single day and don't have to think that I need to do a social media post today because that's what society is telling me to do and to just do you. And I think, you know, that's just something that we all need to do and evaluate and ask, you know, whether we are doing something because that is the norm, because that is what our society is telling us to do, or am I doing something because, you know, today I feel I need to do something because that is based on my experience today. That's how I feel. That's something that that all of us can just like take a little break and assess what is that, what is important to us. And yeah, like being part of nature is something that is so crucial because then you actually spend time in in the environment that we are trying to protect. Absolutely, Mariska. And I think just this idea of of understanding that when you are aligned in the moment with what is right for you and what your interests are and what is meaningful, you can shift the norms. And that's one of the things I try to say in this book about this idea of a daily practice of a one green thing. The one green thing is for you. And it's not about the math. The whole idea of an individual carbon footprint was developed by oil and gas PR executives. It's a public relations stunt. It's not about the math. It's because the whole idea was they were trying to shift the burden of the climate crisis onto us as opposed to the product that they've made that has created this. But the reality is that your individual actions can inspire others. You can create a culture shift. And if you start taking time out and saying, you know what, it's not about my social media post. It's about connecting with what I want to protect. It's journaling in in nature. It's um, calling my local legislator that I really want to see more education for young people that deal with solutions to climate or more clean energy in my neighborhood or whatever it is. If you start doing that from this authentic aligned place, that culture change is ultimately what we need. Because even though we're running out of time, even though all the news that you see is so depressing and so overwhelming, the reality is we have the solutions. We have all the technology in place. We have the money. We do need to support basically the global South and in trying to get to those solutions. But what we need is the will. And that will comes from the culture change, which comes from individuals acting every day. Exactly. And I do believe that, you know, we we really, we can't have change without accountability, keeping large corporations who is the main guys polluting our planet and, you know, making such big profit margins from other people's despair, basically, you know, we need to kind of also hold, hold them accountable. And that's what I love about the youth, because they have got so much guts to just like stand up and demand, let's do change on that. We touched briefly on this, which you mentioned your book, One Green Thing, Discover Your Hidden Power to Help Save the Planet. Can you share more about that? I mean, the book has recently been released. So yeah, Crazy Bits, I am going to link that in our show notes where they can actually go and buy the book as well. But yes, please tell us more about the book. Oh, thank you so much. It it really is a self-help book for climate action. I wrote it to help more people understand what eco-anxiety is and to ask young people how they feel about the future they're inheriting. And then also look at it look at it as a guide for self-exploration about how you can show up for the people you love. And so the first part of the book, I ask, who are you? And you take this assessment. One of my friends called it a BuzzFeed quiz, but it actually is very meaningful of how do you show up for the people that you love? 
And I, I mentioned earlier, there's seven archetypes. So the first is the adventurer, which is the hands-on learner who embraces the physicality of the outdoors, loves to take risks. Then there's the beacon who is speaks truth to power, who is often out front at the podium or with the bullhorn at a rally or something like that. The third is the influencer who's all about people and loves connecting change makers to each other and also focuses on the latest trends. Then there's the philanthropist, which is the giver, the person who shows up by donating time and resources. Then we have the sage who is spiritually connected to nature and makes the moral and ethical case for climate action. Then there's the spark, which a lot of people, when they hear about the spark, they're relieved because the spark is the cheerleader, the plus one. Maybe not the person who considers themselves the environmentalist, so to speak, but they're like, oh yeah, I'll watch that documentary with you. I'll go to that lecture with you. I'm happy to check out this new green brand that you think is important. You want me to call this company and tell them and hold their feet to the fire and say that they're doing the polluting activity that's wrong. I'm happy to do that or I'll sign the petition. And without the spark, there's no movement. And then finally, there's the wonk who's all about data and technology and loves to translate complex problems and solutions into ways that we can all understand. And so this idea that you don't have to be everything to everybody in the movement, I think is really a powerful and exciting one. And I've gotten a lot of good response from is that you can kind of pick a lane of how you show up in a way that's natural for you. So that's the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book kind of goes subject matter by subject matter and asks you what you're interested in. There's lots of journal prompts. What do you value? And then it has suggestions based on your service superpower, which is what I call the archetypes, the service superpower of how you can take action each day. So the, the first, I, I talk about compassion. No, you can't go it alone and how important compassion is in all of our climate solutions and climate justice, how critical that is. And then I talk about think beyond your age, which is this idea of intergenerational partnership. And then it moves to food, water, wildlife energy, what you would typically think about in an environmental book. But the idea is that you create a plan for you that fits with you, that eases your eco-anxiety, helps shift the culture and can create that beautiful future that our loved ones deserve. I love that because where you can pick one of these or because I feel sometimes it is kind of put upon yourself. If you want to put a label as an environmentalist, then you need to be all of this and you need to be all of them very good. You know, you can't lack in one department or someone's going to, you know, point fingers. That's really great because I feel we just need to do something. You don't have to do everything, but just do something. And another thing is, I think it is so crucial what I feel what you're getting through with this book is that it shows people that you can actually meet them where they are and build from there because no one just like wakes up and be like, oh, hello, today I'm Mariska and I'm zero waste, you know, going from having a garbage bin full of waste every single day to like zero waste. No, that, that's not how it happens. It's a journey. And I feel that's kind of how we need to, to approach things as well. So it's really great that you've done that in your book. And I really hope that that will inspire more people to realize that we've got all eco-anxiety, some's more than others, but that together as a collective, we can help each other to deal with that and actually do take small steps to have a real big impact. Absolutely. That's just right on. I think it's so important because a lot of people feel shame. 
you know, my joke in my house is that I have friends who feel like they need to confess their environmental sins to me. You know, like Heather, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I have Ziploc bags, you know, I have plastic bags in my house. Can you still come over? Or I'm not really composting. And the the whole idea to your to to what you said earlier is that oil and gas companies are that's why we're here. And all of our international government subsidies that have propped up that industry, we've obviously benefited from them. But now we know, right? As much as we've enjoyed transportation and electricity and all these amazing technological advances, we know that their product has contributed to global warming, which, you know, right now people are using global warming and climate change very synonymously. And, and but but global warming is when these these greenhouse gases that are emitted from their product are heating the earth and act kind of like as a blanket and trapping the gases. And so it's heating around the world, which is not just increased temperatures, but what we're seeing is also increased wavy jet streams and increased fluxes in, in temperature as well. So global weirding is a word that um, Catherine Hayhoe, who's a great climate scientist, says. But my point is, is that we have to keep the focus on the accountability of international governments and the accountability of corporations. But what happens is when environmentalists like me say we need global policy and market solutions, Mariska, what most people hear is, well, I don't matter. Mm. You know, like really just skipping the straw matter if I, what I really need is to not have billions of dollars of subsidies you know, for these companies. <laughs> and it, you do matter and your individual actions do matter, but it's not about the math. It's about reducing eco-anxiety and shifting the culture and inspiring others to be part of this movement. What you just mentioned with global warming as well, because a lot of people I feel talk about climate change, but then they mean, yeah, climate change, global warming, like, you know, yeah, yeah, same, same. But can you maybe just like tell us how do you actually define what is climate change? I mean, you you spoke a bit about global warming, but yeah, that our crazy birds can actually know what is the difference? <laughs> this is for all the, the crazy birds, but because it's a little bit of climate change 101. So climate change technically refers to changes in temperature and weather patterns over a long period of time. That's the technical different definition of climate change. Global warming is the increase in the temperature of the Earth's atmosphere from the greenhouse effect, where the sun's rays continue to heat the Earth as heavy greenhouse gases act as a blanket and trap lighter gases from escaping. So the technical word is global warming, but climate change is now used synonymously. Again, there's the, all these politics of like the language you use to describe it, but the technical term should be global warming, but more and more people are using climate as synonymous with, with global warming. And how can we actually contribute to this like climate movement? Oh, that's such a, such a great question. The first is, you know, find your service superpower. How do you show up? Adopt this daily practice of one green thing. I actually, in the book, take about a hundred different national US-based, but also international nonprofits and run them through my assessment. So if you're a beacon, you might be really interested in Greenpeace. That might be your thing. If you're all about social justice and speaking truth to power, that may be your thing. You know, if you're focused as a sage, you may be more interested in working with Doctors Without Borders and this idea of having people there responding when there is a natural disaster related to climate. So I take all these different nonprofits and give you points where you can decide how you want to show up. But when it comes to like, what are your biggest impacts that you can make? 8% of global carbon emissions are caused by food waste. And so that's something that you can do to, to save money. What, my husband always jokes at me because I'm telling people, 
menu planning. He's like, that's like the least sexy climate solution you could ever <laughs> offer anybody is menu plan. Yeah, menu plan. But like, think about like how you're going to use your leftovers. Be mindful of the food that you purchase. Try to, to use it because a lot of people assume when their food goes into the trash, it will break down naturally. But in the United States, it goes into a landfill. When food breaks down there, it releases methane, which is a greenhouse gas that's actually 87 times more potent than carbon dioxide. So composting, which uh, when I lived in New Zealand, they were so far ahead with composting. I'm not sure what's going on in Australia, but that's an easy way is just thinking about your food and reducing food waste is one of the top five things you can do as an individual to reduce carbon emissions. But again, it's not as much about the math as it is inspiring others to make these, these changes and really shifting that culture. Exactly. Oh, that that's such a great one. And me and my husband, we live literally like I would say 50 meters away from like a small little supermarket and they close at 9 p.m. every night. So we would sometimes go at around 8.30, 8.45. And then everything that is going to be thrown out that night would literally be marked off. We buy a lot of food like that. And yes, it is packaged, but that food with the packaging would have gone to the bin if we did not buy it that evening. And then, you know, so then it's like sometimes we would get chickens for one or two dollars and then I would have to go and cook everything that evening and then freeze it with milk as well. We would buy it, freeze it. And we have not bought fresh milk, I would say, in the last four months because everything that we buy is like literally milk for like 30 or 40 or sometimes 70 cents and it would have been thrown out. So I feel in a way, yes, we are getting that packaging from that product, but you know, it would have been thrown out as well. And what I've noticed now, because we've been telling people as well, you know, go to the store at this time and there is definitely less products available by the time we get there. And it just shows that more people are actually purchasing this and hopefully consuming it and not just ending up in a, in a bin after. But I mean, there's so many ways that you can actually save money and save the food as well. Absolutely. So that's that's one of the top five things you can do. And a, a great resource that I love to use is called Project Drawdown. It's based in the States, but it is global. And what they've done is they've taken kind of the top 100 climate solutions and made them very accessible. So everything from how you can do your, your job, no matter if you do PR or graphic design, or you're a teacher or you're a musician, how you can promote sustainability in your office to what you can do uh, in your community and individually. And of course, educating you on these big solutions that we need, these big, you know, government and corporate solutions as well. So that's a great resource. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great one. We'll link that up in the show notes as well. How can we actually help to empower others that are on that sustainable journey? Like, how do I get my neighbor on board or that very nosy friend that's always like, oh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is such a great question. I think the first thing you can do is talk about it. And when you're talking about what you're doing, I think the message is important because earlier you were talking about shame and how some people feel a lot of shame. And, and the other thing I didn't, like stepping back, eco-anxiety is a very natural response to people who are paying attention about what's going on in the environment. It's true. Like if you don't have some anxiety, then you aren't, you aren't paying attention. And so I think the important thing though, as people start to connect the dots and you see it, is to make sure that 
they, they know everyone is welcome and everyone is needed and everyone has a unique role to play in this movement. So I think being open, but talking about what you're doing. And one of the things that is my big takeaway, you know, for everyone listening, for all the crazy birds out there is ask the young people in your life how they feel about the future they're inheriting from us. And every single person that I have recommended that they do this and they do it, it has been a game-changing conversation for them. One of my friends was like, okay, my friend Heather says, all these kids have eco-anxiety. Tell me, she's an envir- you know, wacky environmentalist. Tell me what you think. And her son, you know, they were eating dinner. He put his fork down and he said, mom, I think about climate change every day. We just don't talk about it in our family. And then her younger son was like, oh yeah, you're leaving it all on our shoulders. We have to fix this mess that you created. So making sure that you're sharing the positive things you're doing, being open, asking your friends to talk to the young people that they love and really listen because that can, can help people pivot to wanting to take that daily change. And then I think a big reminder, and I think you do such a good job of this, Mariska, is this idea of it can be joyful. You know, these walks in nature, I love calling my legislator. It just makes me giggle. He doesn't agree with anything that I believe in, but I love just leaving little voice messages because that's his job. Is like, of course, it's his staff who listens to it, but still it's their job. However you show up, it can be very joyful to know you're doing what you can. And I think one of the big challenges when we're looking at this global intersectional issue of climate change, race, justice, capitalism, like, uh, you know, all these decolonialism, the history of colonialism, all of it just kind of intersected together. The important thing is that people need a sense of agency. And so when, when you're talking to your friends and you share what you're doing personally, it can inspire them and they can help see themselves in the movement. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it's just those little things that definitely starts adding up. And Heather, what would you say is like kind of one daily practice that you do every day to help you to continue on your sustainable journey? This is so simple, Mariska, but every day I try to go outside, even if it's five minutes. The research says even five minutes outside lowers your cortisol, your stress hormone levels. It can decrease blood pressure. And it's just a nice reminder of why we're all here and what we share together. So it's a challenging for me, for example, today, because in Montana, it is seven degrees Fahrenheit, which I have no idea. I wish I remember my Celsius, but it's seven degrees um, Fahrenheit. It is so cold. We have so much snow on the ground and it's only November. So it's a little challenging because it's not ski ski season yet. So I go outside just uh, my, one of my favorite writers is a writer named Anne Lamont. and, And her great quote is, Go outside, look up, secret to life. And I just love that. That's a very simple practice. Now, my teenagers, Mariska, if they heard me, my teenagers would be like, well, mom, that's not going to solve the climate crisis. Well, I mean, obviously that's not going to solve the climate crisis. But what you were saying earlier is this feeling of burnout. So many people that I love and respect who are involved in this movement get burned out fast. And spending time in nature can really restore you and reset and help you keep focused on moving forward. So, so true. So crazy birds go outside today, even if it's just a minute, hopefully it's a little bit more, but yeah, just take in nature, have a look. Maybe if you can spot a flower or a bird, just like enjoy, enjoy nature. Heather, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? 
my most important decision was making space for young people to be heard and really listening to them. I am so busy. And so I was so focused on climate policy from nine to five and the big global policy market solutions and talking about all this stuff and following the United Nations, you know, COP27 and COP26 and all the stuff that's going on is that at my dinner table, Mariska, I didn't say, how are you feeling? And that's that that did change my whole career, all of my research and all my work. And the result is this book that we're talking about today. Oh, that's amazing. And even for me growing up, like I wouldn't say my generation was as bad, but like with my parents and things, they were brought up in a generation where it was kind of, you know, children were seen, but they were never heard. You wouldn't say something out of place. You kind of knew where you had to be. So I think, you know, I'm so, so happy that we are now actually seen and we are heard (laughs) and we don't have to like silence our voices to make people feel comfortable. I know there is probably some parts of the world where that is still the case, but change is coming for sure. It is for sure. So before we move into our final five, I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much for everyone that has been sending us some reviews or giving us some reviews on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. By leaving these ratings and reviews, it really helps people to discover the podcast. So I honestly really, really appreciate hearing from you guys. So If you have not yet left us a five-star review, (laughs) please do so. I would really, really appreciate it. And I just want to read one of the latest ones that we got from a lovely listener from the US who just said, it is such an inspiring podcast. There's so much joy in Mariska's beautiful podcast. So thank you so much for that. Really appreciate that. Who knows? Maybe I will be reading your lovely review next time. Uh, So please do keep them coming. And now let's move into the final five. The first one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? Intersectional environmentalist, Leah Thomas. She's great. Oh, cool. We'll uh, definitely check that out. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? Going forward, I hope we realize that we're all interconnected and compassion motivates us to come together and solve the climate crisis. And what advice can you give our crazy bits this week to help out Mama Earth? Connect with the young people you love and tell them they're not alone and that you'll partner with them to create a better future. Oh, that's amazing. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? We can do this. The news is so bad, but we have all the technology. We have all the solutions. We need the political will. And that starts with all of us. So please get involved. I love that. And where can people actually find you? On Instagram at One Green Thing. And my personal page is at Heather White Official. I'm also on Twitter at One Green Thing. I don't know how long I'll be on Twitter, but I think I'm going to be on Twitter. (laughs) We'll see what happens with Twitter. But at One Green Thing and then at Heather White OFC. Heather White, of course. So, And we will link that all up for our crazy birds to go and uh, easily find you there. But thank you so much for being such an amazing guest on the podcast. Thank you, Mariska. What a joy to spend this time with you. You're most welcome. And that's a wrap. 
Huge thank you for our amazing guests for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.